Morning, everyone. I must say, it's a... What's with the stage this morning? We're so high. <laughs> I'm like, it's a little bit dizzying being this high up and everything's rocking. So if I fall off, and I do, I tend to move when I preach. So if I suddenly come down in front of you, I apologize. Um, but good morning. Welcome. This is the final week in our series that we've been doing around Easter called The Gifts of the Cross. And um, it is a very short message this morning, but it is probably one of the most powerful messages that I'll ever have the honor of preaching. And so I'd like to start off this morning with a little bit of a history story for you. Um, It's a true story. It's based in the late 1800s. Um, So in America, in around the 1850s, 1860s, there was a very famous uh, theater actor. What do you call them? Actor who acted on stage by the name of Edwin Booth. And Edwin, from the age of 15, rose to stardom, um, and he was particularly good at being a Shakespearean actor. So he was famous for, for being the star in many Shakespearean productions throughout America, particularly in, on Broadway in New York. Um, and, I mean, he started at 15 playing Richard III. At one point, he played Hamlet for like 100 nights consecutively. That's how popular the, their shows were. And Edwin had two younger brothers by the name of John and Junius, and um, neither of them were as well known as their older brother in terms of um, acting, but all of them had sort of the same passion for the stage. And so in 1863, the three brothers put on the production of Julius Caesar, which is Shakespeare's play, and the younger brother, John, played the role of Brutus, who was the assassin. And it was quite a foreshadowing for what was going to happen two years later also in a theater, except on this particular night in uh, April of 1865, John wasn't just playing the role of an assassin, he became an assassin. When he snuck into the back of the Ford's theater and he assassinated the current president of the United States at the time, Abraham Lincoln. And after that, his older brother Edwin, because of the shame that was brought on his family, basically left the public eye. And Edwin kind of you know, retired from fame and fortune because suddenly his family was no longer famous for his stage productions. They were infamous for what his brother had done. And Edwin retired into a life of shame. And at some point in his story, the story wasn't finished yet, something rather ironic happened. He was standing in New York by one of the railway stations waiting to catch a train. And a young gentleman in front of him was kind of shoved forward by the crowd and was just about to fall into the path of an oncoming train. And Edwin Booth reached forward and saved this young man, very well-dressed young man. He didn't know who he was. The young man recognized Edwin, however. And a few weeks later, Edwin got a letter from someone high up in government because the young man he had saved was none other than the son of the man that his brother had assassinated, Robert Todd Lincoln. Two brothers. That's a true story, by the way. Two brothers. Same background, same upbringing, same passion. They both enjoyed theater. Yet one chose life and one chose death. And history is full of stories like this. I remember, and I was trying to find it. You know, there's a lot of urban legend around the stories too, but I seem to recall there was a story, and I stand corrected as to who the other character was, but I know there's a story of two young men who were both ambulance drivers in the First World War for their respective units, their respective armies. And the one, uh, he, I, think, I, I think it was Ernest Hemingway. I think, he's, is he the guy that committed suicide eventually? Very dark writer. It might be, um, I stand wrong. Okay, I stand corrected. 
But basically, the one ambulance driver went on after all the tragedy he'd seen, and he lived a life of doom and gloom and ultimately chose to end his own life. The other ambulance driver became Walt Disney and brought joy and happiness for generations and to many people across decades. We, are often found, we, we often find ourselves in a situation where we are faced with choices. And it's amazing how two people from similar circumstances, from similar upbringing, similar backgrounds, similar situations, and there are two so vastly different choices, and one might choose the one and one would choose the other. So this morning I want to talk about a few choices that are put before us and perhaps the most, the, the most pivotal of all choices that we will ever make in our lives. Because the Bible stories that we read, right from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, all entail some kind of choice. And very often you find two characters who are juxtaposed next to each other because they have the same situation, and yet they make completely different choices. I found this in the, in the book, um, He Chose the Nails. And if you'll bear with me, I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Abel and Cain, both sons of Adam. Abel chooses God, Cain chooses murder. And God lets him. Abraham and Lot, both pilgrims in Canaan. Abraham chooses God. Lot chooses Sodom. And God lets him. David and Saul, both kings of Israel. David chooses God. Saul chooses power. And God lets him. Peter and Judas, both deny their Lord. Peter seeks mercy. Judas seeks death. And God lets him. In every age of history, on every page of scripture, the truth is revealed. God allows us to make our own choices. I feel like I could end the, series, the sermon and the series right here with just these words. Choose God. If you remember nothing else about the series, remember that. I mean, right throughout his ministry, Jesus he, he, he drove this point home. He often emphasized the point that there is a choice. I mean, wouldn't it be so much easier if we just became slaves to God and we were told what to do? And, you know, but, but God is such a gentleman that he gives us a choice in the matter. There's much about our lives we never get to choose. You and I don't get to choose our appearance. We don't necessarily get to choose where we were born, when we were born, to what kind of family we were born. You know, there's some, some choices we make that affect our situations. But there are some things we never get to choose. And yet God, the gentleman that he is, gives us the greatest choice that's within our own power to make that decision. And Jesus says it over and over and over in ministry. He says the following. He says, we've got a narrow gate or a wide, way, a wide one that we can choose from. There's a narrow road or a wide highway we can choose from. There's a big crowd or a small crowd that we can choose to go with. We can choose to build on the sand or build on the rock. We can choose to serve God or we can choose to serve riches and money and our own, our own desires. We can choose to be served. Among, and I'm not doing this like you guys have chosen the right and you guys have chosen the wrong. Sorry. But we can choose to be numbered among the sheep and the goats. There are so many choices that God says are put before us and they are ours to make and this morning I, I want us to truly reflect on the choices that we've made because I think there's so many of us that would sit here this morning going of course I've chosen God yeah like on paper I've chosen him but do our lives reflect that do our hearts our own deep knowledge of what's going on inside of us never mind what anyone else thinks about us within yourself have you chosen God? 
Not would your family say you've put on the right appearance and chosen God. Not do you stand here and preach well, have you chosen God. Within yourself, have you chosen him? Joshua 24 verse 15, he says this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. If you don't want to serve God, who are you serving? I'll never forget, and I thought it was so cool at the time, and I think I've shared this before. I have a, a, a cousin, and we were, she was always like, the, she's a couple years older than me, always looked up to her. She's actually a second cousin. Um, she's about six years older than me, and I remember her being in her room one day going, I don't pray like this, and I don't pray like this, I pray like this. Meaning like, I don't pray to God, and I don't pray to the devil, but like, I'm on my own path. And I thought, oh, such a cool thing. Only I realized years later, if you're not doing this, by default, who are you serving? Because each of us are serving something. And if we don't choose God, by default, we're choosing not God. Joshua 24, 15 said, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. So are you going to serve tradition? Are you going to serve just what society says you should because this is where you're at right now? And then Joshua says this, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There is a choice. There is a decision that needs to be made. We've been talking about the cross. We've been talking about the gifts that were given at the cross. And I think one of the most important gifts that we were given was the the decision to choose. And there's such a strong image if you think of the cross of Christ because When he was raised on his cross, he wasn't crucified alone. The Bible tells us that there was a man on either side of him. And so in Luke 23, we're going to read these scriptures. And it says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right the other on his left. So it's a very clear image. I mean, we often see the cross portrayed as the three crosses on the hill. It's a very accurate description of what it was. Christ in the center and someone on either side of him. One to the left, one to the right. And we know nothing about them other than that they are called criminals. You skip down to verse 39 of chapter 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Is that me? The mark, okay. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. The picture of the cross with the criminals on either side is a picture of the choice that God gives us. Before you is the cross. To the left, to the right, what will you choose? On one side, you have a criminal who is hurling insults. I know Brent spoke about it last week, how there was the sign above Christ and how the sign would have even, it would have told the guys who were on either side of him, that's who he is. And the one guy was mocking, oh, you think you're the Messiah, save us, save, save yourself, save us, bring us down, prove yourself. And the other guy was going, don't you, don't you realize who, you, who this is? 
We're here because we deserve to be here. This man has done nothing wrong. We don't know anything about the criminals, but what I can tell you for sure is this. Only the worst of the worst were crucified. I think we covered that in the very first week of the series when we spoke about what crucifixion is. Crucifixion was reserved not for Roman citizens and guys who needed a slap on the wrist. Uh, on the wrist. I know sometimes they call them thieves. Some translations will speak about them as being thieves. Some just call them criminals. Some call them rebels. But either way, whatever these men were, they were the worst of society. Crucifixion wasn't just dished out to anybody and everybody just for stealing a loaf of bread or stealing something here or there. It was reserved for the murderers, for the insurgents, the people who rebelled, for the pirates, for those that really went against Rome, which tells us this, that both men on the cross on either side of Christ were the very worst of humanity. You and I could easily be either of those people. There is nothing in us that even makes us worthy of the gift of God. Nothing in either criminal that made them worthy of being saved. See, it wasn't about what they had or hadn't done. It was about whom they chose to follow. The fact that Christ was crucified between them is such a powerful picture of the path that's laid in front of us. I want to show you something now. Tim, can I use you for, for help? I didn't show you this before, but I'd like you, no, no, you don't need to come up here. You need to stay on the floor. I'd like you to just walk to the back and unwind that for us, please. I saw this illustration on Facebook, so you might have seen it already. I could probably ask you to do a few laps, eh? Have you still got any string left there? Yes, there's still plenty. We worry so much. Give me a bit of slack there because I'm going to move back and forth. Here we are. Okay. We worry so much about the choices that ultimately aren't going to have any consequence. If this is a picture of eternity, and I mean there's still more to go. We could keep Tim walking, probably down to Lords and Legends if we wanted. That's a picture of eternity. I've colored it in. I don't know if it'll show. That's our time here on earth. Probably not even. It's probably more like that. That's our time here on earth. And we spend so much time worrying about the choices we're making here on earth that have no eternal consequence whatsoever. Eternity is real, whether we acknowledge it or not. The Bible tells us over and over, sorry, do you want to drop the ball there? You can leave it there. Shame, standing at the back with the ball of string. We'll, <laughs> we'll reel it in just now. 1 John 2 verse 25, I don't have these scriptures, so don't worry, says, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life, eternity. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. When Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees in John 5, verse 39, he says, he says this to them. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. He's like, you're like doing all the right stuff. You're raising your hands right. You're singing the right songs. You're reading the right scriptures because you think that's your key to eternal life. He says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's not about how well we perform in church. It's not about whether we can convince others of our choice. It's about whether we have truly made the choice to follow God. This is our life here on earth. This is every decision we think is so important right now. And yet God tells us that there's a decision that we need to make, just one, that affects all of eternity. I'll never forget, we had a a friend who used to tell us, if you want to try and imagine eternity, imagine a diamond the size of the earth. And imagine you have, and you know a diamond is the hardest substance on earth. Imagine you have a little sparrow that comes once a year and sharpens its beak on the diamond. The amount of time it would take to wear that entire diamond away is just where eternity begins. You and I will be here. Well, not here, but we will be around forever and ever and ever. We will. It's a fact. But where we choose to spend that eternity and who we choose to spend that eternity with relies solely on the choice that we make when we find ourselves at the foot of the cross. And yes, there are good choices we should make here. We are called to live full and abundant lives here. We are. And it's not all about saying, well, that thief at the cross, he did it at like the 11th hour, like second 99 before the 100th cutoff, he got in, so I'll live my life, I want to live my life, and then, you know, then I'll choose God. No, it's got to come from a true sincere place, not a last minute sort of pull out all stops to save myself. There's got to be a true, dedicated, committed choice that we make within our hearts to follow him. You can be the best of the best or the worst of the worst, but we are still called to choose. In Deuteronomy verse 30, Uh, Sorry, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 15, it says this. This is um, Jesus, uh, God, speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. And then he says later on in verse 19, I have set before you life and death. Now choose life. I want to show you a video that really spoke to me, and then we'll end. I warned you it wasn't going to be a long sermon. But hopefully you'll remember nothing else other than choose God, choose life. Have we got that video ready to roll? It's not the baptism, although that's important. It's not the Bible study, although you can't do without those. It's the choice you've made that will determine your eternity. And I know there are many of us here, we've made that choice. But maybe somewhere along the way we've strayed from it. Sometimes we forget. As he was saying, the moment it becomes about me, 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 and it stops being about God and about Jesus and about the gift he's given us on the cross, we've lost the path. There are some here that are going, it doesn't really matter. Like, I have time. I have so much time. There's, there's, there's like, there's all this time in front of me.
Yeah, I've got plenty of time to choose. I think if we could just pull back the curtain and we could see even for a split second what was on the other side, we would not for a moment hesitate to make that choice. And I'm not saying it's a choice we make because we want to live a life of heavenly bliss. It's a choice we make because it's a choice we've been given to make. Choose life. Can we stand together and pray this morning? And I know there are some here who, this may be the first time you're making this choice. There are some here who are firm in their choice, and that's okay. You don't need a reminder. You, you, you're happy to hear the word, but you, you've made the choice, and that's okay too. I think sometimes we feel this pressure of, if I say, put your hand up, and everyone's got to put their hand up. But, but you within yourself, and I within myself, will know for sure the choice that we've made. The cross of Christ is before us this morning. Which path will we choose? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the choice. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you've given us. Lord, no choice we make will negate what Christ has done on the cross. But Father, you have said that you place before us life and death. Father, help us to choose life. In this moment, in this place right here, Lord, may each of us be determined in our hearts that we choose you and you above all else. Father God, that our short lives here on earth will be lives lived to your glory. And Father, one day when we step into, into eternity, Lord, it will not be because of anything we've done, but purely because of who you are, the grace you have shown us, Lord, the choice you have given us to make. And Father God, your Son on the cross poured out for each of us. Lord, if we forget all the scriptures if we forget all the fancy words and all the fancy songs, may we never forget, Lord, that life is found in you. May we choose you, Father, day and day again, when our feet may stray. We choose you. Just right where you are now, spend a few minutes just within your hearts. God knows. As Brent said earlier, he sees you. Not just the external you, not just the outside image. He sees you. And he loves you. And he died for you. Thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.